Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Bible Immersion Podcast by the Well Madera, where we exist to point people to the hope and love and the wholeness found only in Jesus Christ. And the heart and the vision of this podcast is to do that by showing how every single story of Scripture snaps together to shape the one true story of Jesus. And we're calling this podcast Bible Immersion because we recognize that reading the Bible is its a lot like learning a new language. Uh, not only that, it's like stepping back into a completely new and unfamiliar time zone in a culture and a context that expects you to be fluent in their history and cultural traditions and even their inside jokes. And as we all know, the best way to learn another language is to completely immerse yourself in the culture and force yourself to begin thinking about everything through the life and the eyes and the language of that culture. And this is what the Bible is inviting you and me to do. We immerse ourselves in the story and we allow it to shape our identity as we begin to see that even a few thousand years later, we are still living within this same one true story. So as we walk line by line through the scriptures to know who God is and what he's like and what it means to be human as we're shaped by the story of Jesus, come with us and see how this divine gift of the scriptures points us to the past to inspire hope for the future. Real quick uh, on the on the tail end of that, if anybody is aware of any needs that folks have within the church or from the church, would you please let, uh, please let some of us know, uh, so that, uh, we can try and address those. That would be awesome. I hope everybody's doing well. I trust that they are. You guys are okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, we generally go through a recap of Genesis 1. We're not going to do that today, other than to say that um, uh, I want you guys to see how God has created a, a uh, environment where man and God could, can, can commune. And so um, I encourage you to go through and read Genesis 1 as many times as, as, as you can or as necessary. Um, the details in there are so, so, so important. Um, but we are going to recap a little bit of chapter two before we get into 18. Um, what do you guys remember about chapter two that stuck out at you? What, what jumped out in chapter two? Anybody remember about... I have got, God started with freedom before restriction. Okay. Yeah, good. Okay, and that's going to come into play at the first part of chapter 3. It's going to be really important there. What else? <clears throat> Anybody remember how you were created? Oh, thanks. The, how about the breathing into the nostrils, the breath of life, and how that differentiates us from animals in that we now have the, um, the, the reflection of God in us. Do you guys remember that? 
Mm-hmm. How about the how about the the trees? It talks about um, talks about two different trees, and that's going to come come into play here in just a little bit. What do you guys remember about the trees? Tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Are, do you remember what that represents, Dennis? Yeah, the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you. But when we're racing, I put you into the wall or I let you get away with it. <laughs> What's that? Do you remember what the tree of life represents? Hey, the tree of life is a tree that sustains and perpetuates the life of mankind. Wow. Nice job, man. <laughs> word for word. <laughs> yeah, that was good. How, how about the rivers? Guys, do you guys remember what the rivers, uh, when we talked about the rivers and what water represents throughout Scripture? You talked about the Garden of Eden and uh, how the rivers, a single river came from the Garden of Eden, but divided into four different rivers, and how the rivers themselves represented, or the river itself represented the life-giving from uh, the the throne of God, as we read through, I think it was Ezekiel and a few other verses a couple of weeks ago. Do you guys remember that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, we talked about work a little bit and how work, um, I think that sin has corrupted what work should be and that, uh, or that sin has corrupted how we view work and that um, uh, work itself is a good thing. We were designed to work. And in that work, we were reflecting uh, the image of God by creating, by loving, by by um, uh, making the, making the environment that God gave us better for each person, and and we talked a few weeks ago about how I can't think of any job that that that's done that doesn't somehow create a better environment or a better uh, better life for other people. So we're working at, uh, to reflect God to make our environment better. Do you have anything to add to that, Dave? Let me unmute here. I was just going to let you guys know uh, if it's helpful for you. I'm going to use the chat here, and I'll just drop in some of those references that Sean's talking about, about the river of life and so forth. So I'll drop those in here in in just a minute. So I'm looking for those references. Okay. Um, Were those the ones we read, like, uh, last time we we met? Were those, like, the verses that Sean cast out? Yeah, so if you guys can see your chat, I just put in there uh, God's throne uh, as the epicenter of life is represented by the rivers or the waters of life. So a tree of life, rivers of life uh, are, are represented there that you see throughout the scripture. And those are some passages we looked at to, to see how the God is the epicenter right, of life that flows out into the nation. So. Yeah, and the deep river surrounded the land signifying that God has control and is giving life to all things, all things that that river touches. Hence, we're talking about the trees. Uh, Stephen talked about how the the trees themselves uh, kind of reflect the way mankind operates. uh. Okay, so um, let's see. We are in 18. 
Uh, actually, let's back up to 17. It says, but the tree of life of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. But we have, as Grace said, freedom to eat of all the other trees. What makes the tree of the knowledge of good and evil different? Anybody have an idea? At this point in time, who is defining good and evil? Is it mankind or is it God? God. Does. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we eat off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what takes place? What what shifts? Uh, shifts to us. Pardon? So it shifts to us. Yeah. Mm. We're, we're yeah. making decisions. Yeah. Rather than trusting God to do that, right? And so far, God has provided literally everything for mankind. He's provided safety, food, um, his reflection, all of these things. And God says, let me define good and evil rather than, than you. And I want you to trust me to do that. And so that's the significance of the tree, the, the knowledge of good and evil. Um, it talks about death. What, is, um, what do you think God means by you shall surely die? doesn't he mean separation from god yes who who was i'm sorry i've only got nine people on my screen i can't see her oh susan thank you yeah separation from god but there's also something else in there that's not just a separation from god but that there's physical death that enters into into the 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 equation we um Mm -hmm. We not only are separated from God physically, uh, spiritually, but now there's a physical death, and that physical death is going to come into play later as well as we as we work through three. Um, okay, so in eighteen it says, "Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him.' Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them." And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. I want to go back to 18. It says, it is not good that man should be alone. You um, You guys remember what good meant? Remember us talking about um, good means it's serving its intended purpose, right? Uh huh. So if if God says, and when we look back through Genesis one, we see God saying at the end of each day, "It is good. It is good. Right. It is good." At the end of day six, He said, "It is very good." 
meaning each thing is, is, is fulfilling its intended purpose. So the question is, what does God mean when he says it's not good that man sh- is alone? Doesn't that, doesn't that suggest that something is, something's amiss? Man is, man is, um, man cannot complete the task that um, God designed him to do alone. And the question is, why do you guys think that is? If we're, if we're reflecting the image of God, um, God's not alone. God's never alone. God is always a community, right? Right. There's three of them. Right. And so I think, I think God is saying that, he, that man cannot reflect God's image well by himself because God is a community. Um, and being alone, uh, he won't got man won't have the uh, the earthly help that he needs um he's not going to be able to receive the blessings that uh of god's first commandment which was to be fruitful and multiply so he can't do that by himself um and he's unable to fulfill the physical and emotional needs god's placed in him. um and so marriage uh or 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 companionship actually let me put that on hold let's let's get back to that in a second um what do you think God means by fit when he says uh, in uh, there at the end of verse 18, Sean? Yeah, sorry. I'm having to move my screen around. I'm working on a small screen. At the end of verse 18, it says, uh, I will make a helper fit for him. What, what do you think fit means? Would that mean of his kind? We okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're okay. compatible. They're like partners. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think it's, I think God's saying that there's, he's, he, mankind needs an ideal partner. And the idea here is that um, uh, almost like a mirror where if, if a man were to stand in a mirror and see his reflection, he would see the exact opposite of what he is. And that's the idea of providing a fit, um, uh, a fit or an ideal partner. Um, it is the exact opposite of him to fulfill all of the shortcomings he has um, with, with um, uh, sorry guys, I'm having a hard time thinking. Sean, as you say that, it's interesting. <laughs> I just as you're saying that, it's interesting. I was looking at that word. I'd never noticed that that word "fit" in there before. I'm looking at that word a little bit, and it's this idea of being the opposite of or other side. And what's yeah. cool about that, it, the other side could be seen as either complementing um, or like contradicting, right? right. And I imagine we'll get there in Genesis three, but that's interesting. That it could be one or the other, right? Yeah, and it's it's the idea is it's a it's a puzzle piece, much like a puzzle piece where where a fit helper is going to complement man in order to fulfill his role of reflecting God. Mm-hmm. Um. 
Okay, so it says, uh, now out of the out of the ground God formed, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever man called every living creature, that was his name. Couldn't God name that? Couldn't God name the beasts of the field or the, the mm-hmm. creatures? Why do you think he had mankind do it? Because we're supposed to rule over everything. Yeah. We need to know the names of who we're ruling over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, you think that, that God allowing mankind to give names or to name the animals um, suggests ownership from Adam that he, he is, like you said, Dennis, he gets to, uh, uh, he gets to rule over it. And it reflects once again, God's image of, and command to, to, uh, to rule and subdue. Uh, another interesting point about this is it says the word gave. Gave suggests that this is the first time that man uses speech. Um, this is the this is the first time that man it suggests that man uses speech in uh, in Genesis. Um, So the man gave uh, names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Uh, interesting. Previous to this particular verse, Adam is referred to the man. This is the first time we see uh, Adam given a name. Do you think there's a coincidence to the animals being named and then right then Adam was also given a name? And then the next question is, mm. where did Adam's name come from? Hmm. Kind of going back to that authority piece, Sean, it, I think it just is a direct <laughs> reflection, right, that our <laughs> Or the authority, or I guess whoever names you has authority over you, in a sense, right? And so yeah. if we have authority to reign and rule over the animals, and we're given the authority to name them, then if God names us, what does that say? Yeah. 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 It says that God rules over us. Yeah. yeah. We've been noticing in our men's discipleship group how interesting it is that over and over again, in the biblical story, God renames. Right before he's going to do something great through an individual, he renames them. And uh, almost as if to say, I have a new intended purpose for you, and here's your name for that purpose. It's really cool to see that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it talks, to, uh, it says that uh, there was not a helper fit for Adam. So, so picture... Adam is, 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 all these animals are brought to Adam, and he's naming each one of the animals. But it, it implies something else here when it says, but there is not a helper fit for him. Um, what do you guys think about the idea that, that as Adam's working through these animals, he's also, and he's recognizing that these animals each have um, helpers or mates, but there's nothing for Adam. So as these animals, as he's working through these animals, he's recognizing I'm alone. Mm-hmm. I'm by myself. The whole earth, every creature has a companion or a fit, mm-hmm. but I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Um, real quick, the, there's a little controversy. It, it may not have been actually a rib, but it, 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 the, the translation is flank. So it might have been like a, a, a piece of a flesh rather than a rib, but it's translated rib. Uh, and, the, and, uh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Interestingly, his, his response is, this at last is bone of my bone. Um, why do you think Adam said this at last? I mean, we, we know that we recognize multiple times through the last part of this chapter that Adam did not have a helper fit for him. But what's significant about that? This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Maybe he feels complete. Was that Grace? Uh, maybe now he feels complete. Okay. With the mate. Okay. What What do you think would drive his desire to to have a companion or to have a fit helper. Go back to chapter one. Okay, so he finds a compatible partner. She becomes a fit helper for him because then they will be able to fulfill God's command of, you know, um, multiplying, you know. Yeah. So we know that his desire for a helper isn't just arbitrary, right? This is something that God has put in him. Um, the question is, how does that, how does his desire for a helper reflect the image of God? I think of the what you mentioned earlier, the desire to be in community, first of all. And then also the desire to uh, be fruitful and multiply. Um, God himself is a, is a multiplier. He's a life giver. And Adam, I think it's, it's set in home, like, how am I supposed to be a life giver by myself? <laughs> you know. What's that? I heard Who's somebody else. there, David? What's that? He said, you have a cute help. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll let her do the talk. Um, okay, so when, it's, when, when Adam says, this at last is bone of my bones, the idea here literally means this stroke or this beat of the foot. And what it's signifying is Adam's basically saying, it's, it's now my time. This at last is I have a helper fit for me. The entire world has been created with helpers and, and, and fits. But as I, as I, as I walk through and I name the animals and I see what's happening throughout the world, I, I've got nothing. And so Adam is saying this time, man, it's, it's, it's my time. And so this is, this is a fairly an exciting time for him. Um, okay. So it says we're blazing through this guys. We're, we're going to conclude two here fairly quickly, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about, uh, about three before, before we close up. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, 
and they shall become one flesh. Um, how would you guys describe cleaving in this context, or at least in the way God designed it to be? What does cleave mean? Be together, be one. Okay. This translation does, but this one doesn't. Oh. So, Dennis, uh, does it say hold fast? Oh, it says united. The, oh, uh, united. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you talking about verse 24? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, it says, so in my translation, which is NIV, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Okay. What is, what is, um, what is united, leaving a father and mother and being united to the, to your, to your new flesh, if you will, what does that, what does that look like? Tied together. How does that play out? I think it tied together. Does it also mean common purpose? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, nice. Common purpose. Yeah. So I'm going to use a, an ag example here, and then Stephen, please correct me and make it make it good. Okay. So there's a note. Here's a note I have. Um, so leave and cleave like a strawberry. Uh, strawberries spread by putting down runners. They send out a shoot that extends for a little distance, then puts down roots and grows up into its own plant. It remains connected to the parent, but is still its own plant and can still produce its own fruit. Oh, we lost. I think we lost uh, Stephen and the Lord at a key moment here. <laughs> I was hoping he would correct me, but um, anybody in the in the ag world have a, a better understanding of that or uh, picture of that? So once the roots are established. You can cut the runner, and that plant will be independent. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Is that typical, like, of a strawberry plant or a plant along? It'll send out the runner, establish its own roots, and then you could cut it, and it's self-sustainable from there? Yeah, you can, yes. Mm-hmm. That's a cool picture. All the grapes do the same thing? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Dave, you wanted to ask a question about um, about cleaving as well. We talked about yesterday. Yeah, is that going back to the helper language? Yeah, 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 yeah. So last week, I just knowing this passage was coming, I just sent out some some homework for all of us to look at a few passages and think about what does that word helper mean and God's design for it. Um, so, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Um, the idea of, of helper. And I dropped here in the notes, Genesis 2.18, Psalm 54.4, John 14.6, Ephesians 5, and then 1 Peter 3, if you see there in the chat. So what do you mean? Or what do, what's the Bible mean by helper? Um, what's God's design for that? Especially going back, I like Sean's definition of good, um, or we would argue the Bible's definition of good is to serve its intended purpose. So what's God's intended purpose for a helper? 
Go ahead and turn, uh, let's have somebody turn there to Psalm 54.4. We'll just read one or two of these, and then we can keep clipping along where you're going, Sean. Um, Psalm 54.4. If somebody gets there, could you read that? But God is my helper, the Lord keeps me alive. All right, thank you. So you see that that language, helper, again, it's that same word. Um, later on, you know, Jesus will use it, um, but now in the Greek rather than the Hebrew, but in John 14, um, who does he, do you guys know in John 14, who does he call the helper? If you guys can see, uh, I'm trying to give it. my helper. Say that again. The Holy Spirit. Yeah, Holy Spirit is our helper. And, uh, you know, that word specifically here in Genesis 2 and Psalms, and you can see it kind of in the Hebrew, is this idea of salvation, to do for someone what they cannot do for themselves. And uh, I love that picture just in light of what, Kind of where Sean's going with this is Adam, I think, is beginning to realize, um, hey, I cannot do, I can't fulfill my intended purpose by myself. I just can't. Like if my if I'm supposed to reflect the community of God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, if I'm supposed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth with the image of his glory, his goodness, um, I can't do that by myself. And so I need a helper. I need someone who can do for me what I cannot do for myself. And together, I think both man and woman have that helper type mindset um, of, of complimenting. But I, I, I don't want to get too far into that. But any other thoughts you guys have there as you look at those passages or helpers? We keep clipping along. All right, go ahead, Sean. Okay. So uh, when we talk about, when it talks about uh, leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife, it's interesting because there's, there's, there's no hint or, or description of how a man cleaves to his wife. Uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. Um, there's no hint of the same type of bond with the parents as there is with the wife. Um, and so it, it really suggests becoming one, like Grace said, or uniting. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's necessary for man and, uh, to, to leave his parents and cleave um, with their God-given helper in order to fulfill the command to be fruitful and multiply. Community is something that is uh, a natural product of being an offspring. For instance, um, Finn is a natural part of the community with Dave and Mel and is a reflection of their love, just as we reflect God. But cleaving, um, cleaving is different. It's a different bond. And it's a, instead of being just part of the community and being part of that reflection, you're now propagating that community mm -hmm. and, and you're multiplying just as God, just as God commanded. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's, that's, um, I think that's the difference between the, the, the why they why they're, uh, uh, Moses says to leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. You're, 
you're now beginning to propagate the, God's community. Um, and lastly, we're going to conclude this a little bit early, I think. Um, at the end of chapter 2, there's a really weird, like just seems to be out of place verse. It says, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. There's a few things through chapter 2 that I want to quickly recap that will set us up for three, and this is one of them. And, uh, and the man were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Why do you think that was... Why do you think that was entered into the text? Why do you think Moses wrote that? What's significant about being naked and not ashamed? Because they hadn't eaten from the tree yet, and so they had the knowledge. Okay. Um, what is what is being naked and not ashamed represent? Trust. Yeah, trust between whom? God. Grace, God, yeah. Who else? Trusting each other. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think um, this is setting us up to see how how much destruction, how much death, as, as the middle of two calls it, uh, comes into play once we decide to define good and evil for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so as we move into three, keep, please keep that in mind that, that previous to three, they were naked and not ashamed. And, and, and they, they had no reason to distrust. Mm-hmm. So far, God has created an environment that's perfect. He's created an environment that's perfect for man and God to commune. He's provided everything for mankind. When we go back to uh, the middle of two where he talks about the trees, he said uh, it's pleasant to the sight. It's good for food. He's giving man all of his desires. Um, and man has, has no reason to distrust neither each other nor God. He's, he's given them everything. And so try, let's keep that in mind as we, as we work through three. Um, would you say that there's this there's um, when we get towards three and we we get to this part there's a a death to the to the trust then yes okay yes yeah um, and and not just not just between man and God but between man and man yeah yeah yeah. 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 Good observation. That's a really good observation. You know, it's it's interesting that in I don't know how many years it's been, but for those of you who are familiar with TED Talks, um, they're just you know these fifteen to twenty minute talks, typically about kind of the the newest in technology and education and so forth. They're just really like good polished talks. The most popular, most watched talk of all TED Talk history is a talk given by Brene Brown called The Power of Vulnerability. And it's all about how humans are made, and this is totally from a secular perspective, but how humans are made to be vulnerable with each other. The more real we are with each other, the more connection, uh, trust, and from trust comes um, just really incredible things in an organization, on a team, in a family. Like you cannot have teamwork 
and you cannot have a good organization without trust. And so I think it's very like that verse that it seems out of place in 25, but you know, a couple thousand years later, the most popular talk out there on YouTube is the power of vulnerability. It's pretty interesting. Dave, do you think you can have community without trust? Just yeah. throwing that out there. Yeah. 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 Well, so I real wanna, quick, just, sorry. Well, I was going to say kind of like, you know, Adam and Eve, there's like that trust. So you have like in marriage, it's very important because, you know, then you become a unit. It's like with friendship, you know, you meet people and you form friendships, but once that trust is broken, you can't get back to what you were when you first met and built that trust. It kind of just breaks that relationship. It's like your mind is always doubting that person. It's mm-hmm. like, are they being truthful or mm-hmm. are they just like, you know, making things up? Just, you know, to, it's like a band-aid kind of in a way. Mm-hmm. You break that trust. Yeah, it's, I think, I think the, the, the difficulty of trust is significant. Um, it's quick to lose trust, mm-hmm. but it's really difficult to gain it back. And I think that's a testament to the value that trust has in relationships for certain. Um, any comments, questions about two? Sean, are you good with wrapping up with our, our two questions? Yeah. So uh, for those who are a little bit newer here with us, our goal every time we walk through a passage is to just last five minutes or so here, uh, just ask two questions that we're encouraging everybody. I, I do this every morning in my time in the Word with a journal. I ask two questions of every passage I read, and, and that's what did this just tell me about who God is and what he's like? And then the second question is in light of that, what does that uh, say about us as humanity or for me personally. So who is God? What is he like? And then uh, what does that mean for us as humans? And if you begin to ask those two questions, man, the word will talk to you. Um, so just in light of these seven, eight verses we looked at this morning, what do you see about God, who he is, what he's like? If you only had these eight verses to tell the world from a limited perspective, this is the kind of God God is from these eight verses, what would you say? What did you see this morning? He's very generous. Mm-hmm. Very, very generous. Generous. Good. And he's, he basically has thought of everything, mm-hmm. um, which that's no surprise. <laughs> so Dennis, but, would you say generous, yeah. detailed? He provides, he's very detail-oriented. Yeah. He provides everything for us. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is open our eyes and look. Yeah. Mm. That's good. And, and he's feeding us, other than food, he's feeding us spiritually. Mm. That's good. So just in that observation, Dennis, I I hear he's generous, he's detailed, he's thoughtful, he's a provider. I mean, even if you just go have a conversation with somebody this morning, like, hey, you know what I read this morning? I mean, I see God as as generous, detailed, thoughtful, um, a provider. Let me tell you a little bit about that, you know. 
And that begins to shape your view, your understanding of God. What else do you guys see in there about who God is, what he's like? Uses um, our experiences to teach us about him. Mm -hmm. Um, He could have just made woman, Mm -hmm. like he made the complimentary male and female animals Mm -hmm. and be done with it. But he had man go through an experience to, Mm -hmm. I I don't know, I'm assuming to realize that man comes to realization that this is what Mm. he needs, that he's incomplete. That's a great. That's a great observation. That's a really yeah. good. Yeah. Hmm. Anything else? Who Who is God? What is He like? And then, in light of that, so if we're to say, okay, so far the things I'm hearing, He's generous. He's thoughtful. He's detailed. He's a provider. Uh, he he uses examples to teach us. He doesn't just say, here's here's how it is. No, he, he walks us through to help us see kind of the why of things, what I hear Jennifer saying. In light of that, what does that mean for us as humans? How do we respond to a God like that? Well, I mean, he calls us to be, to, to try to be like him, right? So then that means we should be generous. We should be doing these things um, we should be providing um, so that we're more like him. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Well, yeah. God is caring. He's not a controller because, you know, he, uh, he gave us the freedom or gave Adam the freedom mm. to, you know, or yeah. restriction came around. I really yeah, appreciate Go and ahead. gave him the freedom to enjoy his creation. Yeah, I was just going to say, and uh, imagine being a part of this and God creating everything that you know, and the only thing he says is reflect me and trust me for your definition of good and evil. But everything else is complete freedom to mm-hmm. to rule, to reign, to subdue, to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, <laughs> interestingly enough, we, we, we kind of project, or uh, I, at least I do, I kind of project this, okay, this is how God was with Adam, but reality says he's still the same with us. We're, 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 we're in the same, we're in the same boat as Adam. He's, he's asking us the same thing to Simply trust him. Yeah. Sorry, David, I'm interrupting you. But. No, no, you're good. That's good. I just wanted to share on a personal note how Genesis has impacted me over the past year or so as I've begun to ask those questions. I cannot help but see in these first two chapters exactly what you guys have said, how generous God is and how much like power and responsibility he gives away. Like God empowers and he delegates way more than I'm comfortable with, honestly, way more than I'm comfortable with. And as a sovereign God, knowing that we'll see next week that we're going to screw up big time as humans, and we're going to bring a lot of pain and hurt and death and sickness into this world because of him allowing us to, to make choices. And so for me personally, it's made me think as a dad and as a pastor how can I give away more power and responsibility maybe that I'm comfortable with? Like areas that I would want to control and say, well, they might make a mistake there. Or 
but instead say, man, God has given me way more responsibility than I should have. Um, and so, of course, we don't just throw people out there. But I, I really want to see us grow in this as a church, that people begin to see, man, we've got a God that entrusts us with a lot of responsibility. Let's take it. Let's own it. Let's make some mistakes. Um, I don't mean to get all Miss Frizzle on you guys, but uh, for those of you who remember the Magic School Bus. Um, but it's it's time to recognize, man, God gives away a lot of responsibility. It allows us to make mistakes, learn from them, and, and go from there. So for me personally, I really want to, as a dad and as a pastor, see people given the opportunity to lead to have power, to have authority, to do it humbly, to make mistakes, to own it, to confess, and to grow. And I would love one day to see every person in our church in a place where they're like, man, it's a little scary. I've got a little more responsibility than I think I should be allowed to, but I'm going to do my best with it. Because I think that's what God does. I don't think you can get through Genesis 2 without seeing that that's the kind of God he is. So it's just really been impacting me as I've walked through it with Sean a couple times now. Um, quick bit of homework. If you guys, I know it sounds like a lot, but it's, it's, it's not too much. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind reading back through one, reading back one and two, and just making little observations for next week, what, um, some things that just jump out at you and focus on is, as we, we just talked about how generous God is and how much he provides for us. And that's really going to set us up for three to see, as Dave said, how, how badly and we, we blow it, how much hurt we create, um, given all this power. Would somebody mind praying for us? back who's back i'll pray for us father uh and we thank you for the time together we thank you for the technology that allows us to still meet in, in, uh, in these weird times um help us to reflect you and to to express to the world that you are hope and that um and that you have control of these things and, and there is um there's really nothing to fear help us trust you um and, and to seek your face in all things lord we ask this in christ's name amen